This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, it's great that we finally get to meet because this is how we meet nowadays. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, and uh, what you're passionate about. We'll go from there. All right. So my name is Robin Bolton. I am the founder and chief navigator at Mile Zero, which is an title. innovation... Chief navigator. Thank you. Chief <laughs> navigator. Because um, there's a lot of wayfinding that happens when mm-hmm. it comes to innovation. Um, But yeah, so Mile Zero, we work with companies that struggle with innovation and want to use it as a way to repeatedly, you know, build new revenue and achieve their growth goals. So um, work with companies, usually kind of medium to large size companies and really help them develop that capability for repeatable innovation, which is, you know, I, I think I'm... I'm one of those uh, wide-eyed optimists that believe, you know, big companies can innovate. I know it seems impossible, but there's nothing more fun than doing the impossible. So let's figure it out. Right. You know, I sometimes I think I feel the exact same way as you because I'm kind of in the same space and innovation seems to be one of those sort of hot and cold things, right? It's it's there's a cycle. It goes up and down. Yes. Have, you, you've, have you experienced that as well? Oh, completely. It's up and down broadly in the economy than by industry and you know it's one of those things where i think like it shouldn't be its own thing like and now today we are going to innovate it should just be the way you do business because that's you know what growth is and you should always be asking like how can we do this better how can we better serve our customers how can we improve what we're doing and sometimes the answer is you know what we're already doing great Sometimes the answer is, oh, make these changes. And sometimes the answer is, we got to scrap the old way and come up with something new. But it should just be the way of thinking and operating. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. See, speaking of scra- scrapping the old way and coming up with the new, it, it seems to me that so many people are so afraid of change. That they'd rather stick with a system that's not working all the way to the end mm-hmm. instead of even exploring something different. Have you found that too? Oh, yes. No, I think it just as humans, we're like, hardwired for for certainty. I mean, we've all experienced the last couple of years of just kind of everything being, you know, upheaval and, you know, it's made us not our best selves at times. And so it's that, you know, I know how this works and I'd rather know the thing that's broken than kind of be not knowing, but on the way to something better. And it is, it gets in the way all the time Mm -hmm. and so what i found is like okay well how can how can you make not knowing feel safe or how can you make feeling safe with the stuff you know actually or feeling certain actually feel unsafe 
Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the constant, I'm sure you see it too, of like the constant tension of, of trying to get people across that chasm. Right. So, well, I mean, how do you do that? Like, what are the, what, what are the, some of the ways that you actually, what tactics, the strategies and tactics that you use to help sort of move people forward into that sort of reduce their fear of change? <laughs> um, that, is, <laughs> that is a great question. And it's, I always think of it as, um, you know, what I often say is that innovation is about kind of head, heart, and guts. And so you've got to speak to all three of those parts. So there's logic, which you can present kind of the logic in the data and be like, we need to move from here to there. Here's all the data. Why you can see the platform is on fire. Great. But then you have to acknowledge that that heart stuff, the fear, the all of those things. And so you've got to address that too. And, and that takes, honestly, building personal relationships, building trust, understanding what motivates people, understanding what their aspirations are, what their fears are, and addressing that as well. And then giving them what I think of as like processes, structures, kind of those life rafts that you know will give them guts to move forward of like, here's a best practice, here's a template, here's a process, here are these tangible things that feel very known and safe to us. So, okay, I, you know, I have my template, Mm -hmm. I can move forward. So are you, do you normally get pulled in? Like, like what point of the process do you get pulled into the situation to say, oh, we need to innovate more? Like, is the, is the company suffering or is the division suffering? Do they, they need more product development? I mean, where do you typically get pulled in? Like, at what point do they say, okay, we, we need to bring her in? Yeah. It's usually at the point where, you know, the company has tried stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and we all see kind of the shiny object syndrome, right? Of like, oh, let's do a hackathon that will solve all our problems, or oh, let's create a lab that will solve all problems. And mm-hmm. the people have done the shiny object thing and it hasn't worked. So usually it's leadership saying, okay, we've tried these things, they haven't worked. We know that we need to be more innovative but we don't know how, because what we know to do hasn't worked. And so usually that's when I get pulled in. And so it's really starting with, okay, when you say you want to be more innovative, what does that even mean? Exactly. What is your definition right? of the word? <laughs> yes. And you know, you talk to five people, you're going to get six answers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so first it's saying like, well, let's talk about what innovation even actually means. Because if you think, oh, we're launching new products, and somebody else thinks we're doing, you know, process improvement. Those are two very, very different things. Mm-hmm. So first, we've got to figure out what be more innovative is, and then the second thing is, you know, this this may be blasphemy for some folks, but you've got to put really tangible, measurable goals around innovation. Otherwise, it's a hobby. It's like this fun thing you do outside work. It's like, you know, you either believe that it is a critical lever for growth. And as a result, you attach numbers to it or you don't. And so then it's getting to like, okay, what do we need innovation to produce for us? And once you can get alignment there, once I get alignment there with the leadership team, then it starts to cascade pretty quickly into, okay, what are the structures? What are the processes? Um, what are the metrics, the incentives, all of that, kind of what I call architecture that we have to put around innovation to actually make it happen. 
So I get in really early when they're trying to figure stuff out and then we build from there. It's, it's really interesting you should say that because, you know, in some cases you kind of like innovation in my mind is a little bit further out from product management. Because if you think about product management, it's sort of like the front end. The front end of product management is, well, what are they looking for? What can we, what can we develop? What's the ROI? So there's innovation at the front end of that. But then what about the innovation that's beyond that? A lot of times people are looking at that and going, well, there's no ROI there, so we shouldn't even explore it. But you know, your competitors are exploring it. So have you, have you ever been able to sort of convince people to get into that space? Yes, yes, it's definitely. Um, How do you do it? Super, <laughs> I would say it's a super fun place to play in, as you well know. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, it, a lot of it starts in those early upfront leadership conversations where, you know, Again, you always have people saying like, oh, we need to go, always my favorite, we need to go figure out how to be the Uber of whatever or the Apple of whatever industry we're in. Um, and then you have people saying, no, we need things that are, or, you know, let's improve this. And I always think of things, it's an and, not an or. So, you know, depending on the leadership, depending on the health of the business, if it's a really healthy business, if it's kind of a leadership that's patient and has a long-term vision, you know, you, I say to them, like, like, I'm pretty sure you guys know how to improve what you do. Like that's mm -hmm. what you do. Yeah. Let's spend time really picking the places, you know, kind of in that will be the future of your company. And, you know, I'm sure like you, you always want to push them farther than they're comfortable, but it's kind of like, you know, that rubber band. Well, that's effect. where the like, good stuff is, you know, you, know, no, know. you don't want the low hanging fruit. That's not the sweetest fruit. <laughs> it's not like we got to stretch all the way over here. And then, you know, they're like, no, we want to go, you know, much closer in. And so then you have, as you do the work, you have the negotiation and kind of the, the stepping stones and, and all that, which is, you know, it's part of the collaboration and the partnership and, you know, you never for you and I, you never get as far as you want or as high up in the tree to the fruit as you want. No, but it's always a negotiation, yeah. but you, you try to push as far as you possibly can. And then exactly. you, there's always some kind of kickback. But it's yep. interesting you should talk about that because this is what I see. We're seeing this everywhere. There's always barriers, right? There's barriers in all these organizations to getting, how do you get to the next level? How do you get this product put out there? Like, have you, can you tell us a little bit about times when you've been able to sort of blow through these barriers and what you're, what the best way? what you found is some of the better ways of doing it? I, say, I, I wouldn't say I've ever blown through a barrier. Um, usually it's like <laughs> I'm slowly. trying to sound optimistic. It's like, boom. She said one thing <laughs> and then boom, all of a through. sudden everybody said, yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it is kind of the long, slow chiseling away at the barrier. And um, often I find what makes the most progress in the chiseling is um, for me not to be the person advocating it, it's to get, you know, somebody else on the leadership team and, you know, ideal world, like if the fastest I've ever been able to go is, you know, what I could convince the skeptic, mm. you know, usually, and I mean this with love, usually the CFO is like, we're not going oh, the the to get the return. I got to say <laughs> they, they often are. And so if you can get the CFO saying, no you know what, we need to be looking out there. We need to be kind of going to the top of the tree and picking the fruit. People listen and move really quick when you get that skeptic saying it. Well, I mean, how, but how do you get them to, to, how do you convince them? Because I, I mean, I've been so, mm. in so many events where, 
you know, people talk about innovation and forward thinking and disruption and all this. And then there's always that heckler in the audience who yells out, what about the ROI? So how do you get, how do you answer that question? So um, two ways, you know, one is with working with anyone, you know, know your audience, right? And like what matters to them and what matters to the CFO is going to be different than what matters to the CMO. So everything is crafted for the audience. But for those folks who love numbers and love finance, uh, I do one of two things. One is figure out what they want to see. Like what is the IRR they want to see? What Or what is, you know, the time to break even? And work backwards from that to say, okay, here are all the things that you need to believe to be true to hit that goal. Now, I can't promise you those things, but if you look at this list, do these things seem believable? Mm-hmm. And you know, if you can at least get them nodding their head on that, then you, you're starting kind of the long, slow process of being like, hey, you, know, you at least see this as believable. So it's, in, it's believable, let's go to the next step. And I'm not asking for 10 million, I'm asking for 10,000. Are you cool with that? And that's the other thing is making those really small asks versus the big ones. The other one, and this is, uh, I'll be honest, this is like a Jedi ninja trick that I learned from an entrepreneur friend of mine. Are you sure you want to reveal it? (laughs) Oh, I will, because it is so powerful. It's so simple, but so powerful. Uh, You know, when you run into that barrier, asking that person simply, what would you need to see to say yes? Mm Mm-hmm. And just by asking that question, two things happen. One is you get them engaged in problem solving with you versus just saying no. And you're building your to-do list so that you can go back to them and be like, hey, last time we talked, you said, if I could show you this, this, and this, you would say yes. Guess what? I'm back with all those things. And so that can be a really, really powerful question to figure out, you know, not just really what the barriers are, but actually help the barrier kind of start breaking itself down. Right. Right. So in a lot of these organizations, I've, you know, you've probably seen it as well. There's a lot of innovation theater, right? They talk about innovation. They, 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 like you say, they put in labs, they do all these things, but nothing ever seems to come out of it. It's kind of like they've got this lab, they create all these things uh, or they create all these product ideas. There's lots of sort of action, but nothing ever seems to come out of it. Like no new products, no new processes, no new nothing. So how do do you get past that? I mean, how do you work in that environment? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And there isn't kind of one, you know, I'd say kind of blessed answer. Um, But what I've seen uh, several years ago, I worked with a huge athletic company on helping them, um, you know, really kind of get their arms around innovation. It, It started with the CEO saying, you know what, I know we're spending a ton on innovation, but I feel like I'm sitting at the poker table, placing bets and all the lights are off in the room. So I have mm-hmm. no idea what I'm betting on, I'm just betting. And you know, so first things first was, okay, so let's figure out what you're betting on, let's get the portfolio together. And so setting up a lot of that architecture. Eventually we got um, evolved into what I'd call a, a business model lab. So dedicated group of entrepreneurs really thinking about how do we use the company's existing capabilities, products, et cetera, to build new business models. And then ultimately, yes, you kind of hit the the ledge of like the chasm of doom of, okay, things are ready to leave the lab and go out into the world now. 
what happens. And where we failed was when we just kind of chucked something over that chasm, like, okay, current business, we proved it for you. And, you know, current business is like, we've got enough stuff going on. Thank you. Um, where we succeeded was when we did two things. One, we got somebody in the C-suite to really feel ownership for, you know, for the new business. You know, in one case, it was actually the CFO who was like, I love this business model. This is what we need to be doing. I'm going to make sure this survives and lives because quite honestly, he wanted to talk about it at the next analyst call. Nice. So you get that, CEO, you know, the CEO, CFO in this case to say like, I am going to take ownership of this. And you start planning for the transition probably six months to a year in advance where you have that person kind of from the current business become part of the team. And again, it's about building that feeling of ownership. So, so that's how we've, we've been able to, to pull things across and get it out into the market. Then, you know, of course, when something gets into the market, it runs into all sorts of other challenges around, you know, is it growing fast enough? Is it, you know, generating the revenue we need to, but those are problems for a launched business. And like you said, it's kind of hard to even get to that point. So how can you solve for that? Exactly. So I want to go back to something you said earlier about uh, like innovation shouldn't be in a specific group, but it should be everywhere and everyone should be innovative. I found that whenever you don't actually have people who are dedicated innovation people within an organization, that it just seems to dissipate and it's not, it doesn't really happen. You know, as soon as you say, oh, innovation is everyone's job, then all of a sudden it's no one's job, right? Because it's like, oh, uh, someone else is doing it, so I don't have to worry about it. Or if people are innovative, then there's no structures or people for them to go to when they do have ideas that they want to share. So, I mean, can you comment on that? Yeah, it's um, it's another and not or thing. So um, one of the things that, you know, again, I start with clients on and say, okay, you know, we use this word innovation and we kind of like, we act like it's chocolate. Like we can spread it all over everything and it'll just be delicious and wonderful and we'll love it. Well, yeah, the of reality course. Is, <laughs> I know, but the reality is innovation is not chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. You need to think about different types of innovation. And, you know, there's all sorts of different constructs out there. You take the simplest one, which is kind of core innovation versus adjacent versus breakthrough. And so core innovation, yes, I think it should be everyone's job. And some people will more naturally, you know, ask the questions of why are we doing this? How can we do that better? And you need to to have a process to help kind of surface those things and do the continuous, you know, optimization. What you're talking, I think what you're talking about is that breakthrough and that radical innovation. And that is, a usually it is, a completely separate structure, very different people who think very differently, whose instinct isn't about how do we improve what happens? It's how do we tear down what exists and create mm-hmm. the new, which is just- That's the toughest, toughest group to have to fund within an organization, but go on. It is so tough because like, Nobody wants to destroy what they made their career building. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is a really tough group to get funded. If you get it funded, it's really tough to, to keep it funded because you have one down quarter and like the money gets pulled. Oh yeah, uh, there's the cycle again. Wait a minute. <laughs> How come cycle. this thing's not showing us any ROI? Where's the money? <laughs> yes, 
Yes. It's like I had one CEO say to me, like, okay, we need we need this team to create a business that's going to be $250 million <laughs> 12 months after it launches. And we need to be able to launch in six months. And I just literally, I looked at her as like, if I could do that, I would be doing that. Oh man, I but that's easy because it. it's usually a billion dollar business, right? Don't they usually ask for a billion dollar business? Where's my <laughs> unicorn? I want a unicorn. Yes. I want to just give me a unicorn right now. Like, oh, <laughs> if only I, could. I want to do that uh, unicorn thing. Can we get a few of those? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, you're right. It's, can we get a few so I can pick the one I like best? Like, sure. Just round up the herd. Um, but you're right. Like that, that radical innovation group, like it has to be dedicated. It has to be a, a different group of people, but it is also, you know, the riskiest place to be. And so what I find is most companies, most big companies, that's where a lot of theater happens. And, and I get it where most big companies, I think if they're honest with themselves or comfortable playing is in that core and adjacent space. And, yeah. you know, I'm always like, just be honest with yourself. Yeah. But the theater, the, from, from my perspective, the theater is there for marketing thing, right? So they can say, here's some of the stuff that we came up with. Doesn't this look cool? I mean, they don't intend for it to go anywhere. They just want to be able to say, look at all the stuff. And it's also a recruiting thing, right? Because if you think about it, people are like, oh, I want to work at this bank because they're really innovative because they've come up with these really innovative things. But none of the stuff shows the light of day. But it's like, I want to work there. So there's lots of reasons yeah. why innovation theater has has its place. But unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it's not really but, real. So what are you going to do? Right. And you have to be honest about what its place is. You know, like I was talking to a company and they said, no, innovation is for PR. Just like you said, it's like, okay, if that's what it's for, great, knock yourself out, but you know why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, there's a huge double-edged sword with doing innovation for kind of employee recruiting and employee retention because people will see you doing all this innovative stuff, then they join the company and they're not doing it. They're not nope. you know, part of it. Their suggestions aren't being heard and that leads to like disillusionment and cynicism and turnover. And so- you know, if you're going to use innovation as a way to recruit and retain employees, you better be prepared to walk the talk because people oh, yeah. will see through it if, you know, you're just using it as a marketing tool. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what happened to me at Yahoo. It's like whenever they brought in a new, um, they do, did a new acquisition, they brought in some really innovative folks and then they would just sort of move them off into some other department and say, here, do your job. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and they were like, oh, I want to change the world. I want to change this. I want to change that. And, and it just uh, you know, it didn't last very long. It's like watching Silicon yep. Valley, you know, where they, they got the guys up on the roof, <laughs> not doing anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they're like, just stay here in your box away yeah, from just stay in your else, box and, and don't don't say too many things to rock the yeah. boat. <laughs> exactly. But be innovative. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, um, uh, yes. can you can can you um, so can you tell us a little bit about some of the other engagements you've had and like some of the ways you've been able to break through barriers? Yeah. Um, so one of the recent ones I've had is um, is great fun, great client um, client actually in the specialty chemicals industry. You wouldn't Ooh, I wouldn't often associate specialty chemicals with great fun, but they were um, and. You know, they focus primarily on, on the beauty sector. So I've learned more about sun care and skin care and things like that than I ever wanted to know, nice. which is the joy of consulting. Huge growth and industry. If you look at TikTok, <laughs> all the beauty, beauty influencers on there. <laughs> oh, many. 
Um, so yeah, so they were at a point where, um, you know, they had, they had invested a lot. Actually, they had invested a lot in really radical innovation and, mm. you know, so kind of the opposite challenge that I usually see. So they had invested a lot. They had been very patient with it. And for a lot of reasons, it didn't work out. Mm. And so they were kind of left with, with nothing. And they had patents expiring. So now the business is kind of in trouble. And so they're like, we have to completely change the way we approach innovation. We've been only doing radical. We need to have a portfolio. We've only had certain people doing it. We need to empower more people in the organization to do it. And I would say, you know, we started with, okay, let's get the key people together. Let's, like I had mentioned, do an audit. What are we good? What can we build on? What are some gaps? And that is always the easiest part because mm -hmm. it's easy to kind of sit around and say like, oh, well, this, we should do this and we shouldn't do that. The next phase was that say, okay, let's put this plan into action. You know, we had designed a process. We had said, okay, we're going to create tools within this process and we're going to have a governance structure and we're going to meet every month and do portfolio reviews and people are going to have to come in and kind of, you know, get permission to start a project, but like the bar is really low. So we have to do, we actually have to do everything that we said we would do coming out of the audit. And mm -hmm. that was when the resistance came up because now we suddenly have to walk the walk mm -hmm. and yes. So resistance. So a couple of things that we did there. One is, we forced people to go through it. Like we weren't going to stop just because one thing felt uncomfortable. Like we are going to go through a whole cycle and then we will evaluate. So, you know, we converted some people by, you know, them kind of experiencing over time saying, Oh yeah. Okay. That was bumpy. But now I see the value of that. And yeah, some things were bumpy. Some things just didn't work out. Other people were resistant throughout. And that's when we said, okay, we've tried it. We're going to change things, some things, keep other things. And then we shifted into talking about this is a capability and we're going to train people and mm. how to do this. And it's very, very hard to be like, no, I am opposed to training. I am opposed to professional development. Right. So then we kind of got the skeptics and of like, we're all doing this training. We are all learning this language. And again, it was a second kind of cycle of learning. And so we, in, you know, in the course of probably about 14, 15 months went from, we've got nothing to going through these kind of cycles of an audit and training, et cetera. And now they've got a portfolio, probably about a half dozen projects, probably, you know, upwards of 400 million in potential revenue. Oh, nice. And what they're working through now is, is that hard people stuff of saying, okay, we've gone through a couple cycles. Are there people who are still resisting? You know, maybe it isn't a fit going forward. Mm -hmm. And we've had other people who really get it, really champion it, really believe that this is the way to do business. And these are the people we need to elevate. So there's a really human component. There's a real HR talent component that is embedded in all of this. But, you know, you don't want to pull the trigger on those things too quickly. Yeah. It's interesting how so many people think that teams have to remain intact, even if there's issues with the individuals in the team. 
I mean, we're not saying get rid of people. I mean, re- reassign them or something like that. But sometimes those are the, that's the easiest way to get a team to gel is to just take take the problematic elements and say, okay, you you go to this other project, and 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 suddenly things get smoother. It just seems that there's sometimes there's such a reluctance, I guess, to, to mess up with a t- mess with a team, even if you have sort of problematic elements within it. Yeah, and that's that's um. Again, kind of going back to one of your early points about people resist change, you know, getting people to see that the context has changed. You know, this team was really functional in one context. The context is different now. It has changed. So it's okay for the team to change. And, you know, again, be open about it. Be, um, you know, be supportive about it. You don't have to be like, hey, you, you person, you suck at innovation, get out. Just to be like, Okay, we're operating in a different world now where there's a lot of ambiguity and, you know, your strengths really gel with, you know, implementation and, you know, operationalizing things. And we want to use your skills where they serve the company best. Right. So that works. So that works, but it's hard. (laughs) It's hard because it's an uncomfortable conversation and. Yeah, we all avoid uncomfortable well, conversations. No one likes uncomfortable conversations, right? <laughs> no, no. But that's where, you know, innovation and change, and you see this too, is it's a leadership challenge, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it really calls on you to like put on your big kid pants and, and be the leader and really exactly. set the example. You can't shy away from it. You've got to step up. Absolutely. Yep. So I'm going to go back to something you said earlier, because I've experienced that myself, where you have say a lab or an innovation group that's sort of generating prototypes, right? They come up with mm-hmm. ideas, they come up with ideas, they, they, they get them vetted, you know, everyone thinks this is great. They actually build a prototype or they build, you know, a, at least a spec or prototype and they go, okay, now it's time for me to throw this over the wall to the business, right? Mm-hmm. But in almost every situation where I've seen that happen, there's so, like you said, there's so much reluctance. Oh, we have so many things to do. There's nothing we can do about it. Blah, blah, blah. And, and every situation where I've seen it happen, where they do find somebody to take it on, the, the product dies soon after, right? Because mm-hmm. it, I, nobody wants like, here, take my plant. They don't water it. They don't <laughs> like it. They don't put it in the window. <laughs> they just let it wither away because that's not our thing. We didn't develop it. We didn't come up with it. So, you know, let's let it wither and die. So, if you've seen those kind of situations, have you ever been able to sort of alleviate that? I mean, how, how do you alleviate that moving a product from prototype to the rest of the organization? Yeah, it, it is it tough. Alive. It, yeah, yeah, keeping alive. It, it is really, really tough. And I, it's funny because the best way to do it, the way I've seen work is you actually plan months, if not at least a year in advance for the transition not knowing if the prototype will work out. And that's really where right. the rub comes in of like, okay, group, we're going to hand it off to, we need you to allocate one of all or part of a, one of your people to our team for the next year so that they understand this and, and can take it. And yeah, actually it may not work out. Yeah. Very hard conversation. But yeah, you have. have to, you have to get them involved really early on, right? You can't just mm-hmm. keep it, keep it in this sort of uh ivory tower of innovation. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or so, sometimes, and this was my experience actually, when I beginning of my career, when I worked at P and G and was on an innovation team was, you know, as we got ready to kind of 
past prototyping and, and test launch, the question we got of, okay, who wants to stay with this product and go over into the existing business? So instead of pulling someone from the existing business into the you know, innovation lab, say kind of who, want, who loves this so much, you're willing to leave the lab and go to the core. And inevitably there are some people there who, could, who are willing to do that. So it can also work the other way. Yeah, yeah. And you have to, have, the funny thing is, is that it's hard to find people to go because they're all like, oh, I want to work on the next cool thing. Because this that's what gets you involved in innovation in the first place is you think, oh, I'm yeah. just going to con- continuously work on the next cool thing. And then once, because it's almost like a startup founder who gets tired of their business and goes, okay, I want to do the next thing. I'll leave and do the next thing, next thing, next. So uh, there's a lot of yeah. convergence between people in innovation groups in organizations and sort of like the startup entrepreneurial universe because they're always starting new things and wanting to do the next thing. So it's it's hard to get them to transition out. It is hard. But like, you know, serial entrepreneurs, they usually take some time off between startups and, you know, yeah. some of the folks in that corporate lab and be like, oh, you know, I'm tired of the grind of entrepreneurship. So I'll go spend a couple of years in that nice, easy core business and then I'll bounce back. Yeah. And then I'll come back. That sounds cool. So, all right, it's time to think like a futurist. It's 10 years out, the year 2032. Um, What's the world going to be like? What are things going to be like? Where are you going to be? Where's your company going to be? Just just (laughs) let's riff. All right. So uh, you're going to be like the uh, KPMG uh, Accenture of uh, innovation or (laughs) no, no. What I would love to be, love to be like the SEAL Team 6 of innovation Mm -hmm. of you know, a small, I love it with uniforms and everything like little patches. Oh, of course. Uniforms, (laughs) all of it. Um, Ghostbusters kind of thing, right? Exactly. With the, you know, the cool car, hundred percent, you know, where we go in kind of targeted help, set everything right. And then folks are ready to go on. Um, I will, you know, could you mention my, my firm's name, mile zero, you know what? I'd love it if we're back to our roots. Part of the reason my firm's named Mile Zero is after Key West, um, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite places in the world. So Mile Zero of Highway One is there. So let's go back to where it started. And mm-hmm. better weather than Boston, I have to say. <laughs> um, You're kind of at the other of end of that freeway, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm at the like mile way too many uh, of Highway One. <laughs> Um, so yeah, back in, uh, back in Key West and, you know, kind of thinking of what the world looks like it, in many ways, it looks very similar to today. I think one of the biggest changes though, is how we think about careers and work and Mm. how that happens. And we're already starting to see it change, but I think it like, it will be the norm, you know, say in 10 years where people bounce in and out of companies, people bounce in and out of, you know, being a freelancer, b- being an employee, um, you know, this idea of kind of retirement, you know, mm-hmm. at, at any age 65 or 75 or whatever it is now, you know, or 25 nowadays that. for or some 25. people, 25, <laughs> you know, it's just this work-life integration, I think is going to happen. And so it's not these seasons of life. It's just going like, this is where I'm at and this is what I want to do. And there will be a lot more flexibility to it, which I think is good. Yeah, what I find that especially, uh, I think COVID has done a lot of this. Whenever you have some kind of a crisis, some kind of a major crisis, mm-hmm. that's which disrupts everyone's lives. That's the best time for people to sort of step back and go, is this what I want to do? Because a lot of times mm-hmm. if they're, they're in the groove, 
and life is going okay, not horrible, but okay, they're, they're not going to make a change. And then, and then only when something really disruptive happens, like somebody has a heart attack or something really, really, it's usually something really bad because yeah. uh, human beings don't respond. They just respond well to, to pleasant things. But when it's a bad thing, then they, then they really want to make a change. But if it's a pleasant yep. change, then it's like, oh, I'll just have more of the same. I'm okay. So do you see that there always has to be some kind of disruption for these kind of things to change? Yeah. And I think it's because exactly what you said is human beings, you know, and there's lots of, you know, psychology and research on this is that we do respond much more clearly and acutely to bad things than good things. You know, I think there's like for every negative comment you get, you need like seven positive ones to (laughs) kind of wash it away. So that's just, that's how we work. And that's why, you know, I really think you know, truly there's a silver lining in every dark cloud and a really big silver lining of this pandemic has been waking people up and showing them that they can change. That They're a lot more resilient than they thought. The change, you know, often our worst case scenarios are like 80 times worse than whatever could po- would possibly happen. Oh, yeah. And so just kind of giving people this experience with something uncomfortable, but they get to the you know, other side, I'm like, oh, I made it through and I made a change and I can do that. And I see the same thing happening at companies where they're like, you know, going back to almost two years ago now where overnight they had to go from in office to virtual. Yeah. And guess what? They did it. And the yeah. world didn't end. I mean, they did it because the world was ending, but it, you know, it didn't go further than that. Yeah. And it built this confidence within a lot of companies and executives of like, oh, we did that. I wonder what else we can do. Mm-hmm. And so it at least made people curious. Well, I love if it did that because I, I have a feeling it's like whenever there's a disruption, we only go so far. We, we go in far enough to change, to deal with it, but then we don't mm-hmm. go far enough because this is the best time to, to make changes. And I think that's what happened yeah. with the great resignation where people are realizing this is not the life I want to lead. I want to do something completely different. And mm-hmm. Th- that is the thing that pushed them into doing something completely different. And companies are like that too, right? If they don't see the disrupt, if they don't get the disruption, they just continue motoring along the way. Even if they're going yeah. down into decline, they just continue doing the, oh, we just continue doing the same thing we're doing. That's why whenever there's a tough time, there's the, the innovation departments and training. And there's, there's so many things they just peel away because they are indeed right. so many things that just peel away because they go, oh, we're just going to work on our core core business, but that's exactly the time when you need more innovation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. How do you convince them of that? It's like, no, no, no. Now's the time. Now's the time you need to beef up your innovation group, not get rid of it. Yes. And that's why I think it does come down to leadership. And, you know, some, some leaders get it. Some don't. I saw a hilarious cartoon um, where one, actually one dinosaur was saying to the other, oh, big companies are dinosaurs. And the other dinosaur is like, well, that's an insult to dinosaurs. And it's like, <laughs> there, there are some companies where you see the leaders are like, pandemic's over, back in the office five days a week. Yeah. Like the repercussions of that, like that is such a, a signal of management, not leadership, management's mentality. And there's going to be a cascading effect of what happens to that business. Because they want to go backwards and that's not how time works. That's not how business works. That's not how people work. And they are an insult to dinosaurs. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's it's, it's just such a deaf ear mm-hmm. doing something like that. 
I mean, I, I've heard of it happening and I'm like, I, I don't understand where, what they're thinking is. Is it because they got to fill these buildings? I mean, let, let, mm-hmm. let, let the buildings be empty, come up with new ways of using them. I mean, there's, yes. there's, there's so much opportunity. This has opened up so much opportunity to do new things. It's like, this mm-hmm. is the best time to take advantage of it. But then again, I'm talking as an optimist. You're probably an optimist. You're an optimist as well. So we're like, yes, yes let's use this opportunity to do new things. And they're like, oh, no, yes. no let's not. Let's no, no, just no, go back no. I want to go back. Were. And, you know, I, I've been doing this long enough, just like you have that, like, you know what? You can't save everyone. You can't help everyone. And there yeah. are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of leaders, a lot of companies out there who want help. I'm going to go, I'm going to go help them. And the folks who, you know, are like, no, I'm going backwards. Even if it kills me, it's like, yeah, I'm done with that journey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been great. This thank, thank you so much. So, uh, great talking with you. Is there anything else you want to talk about prognosticationally? Like anything else you think is going to happen <laughs> in the 2030s? Uh, the 2030s. It, it's crazy long ago. No, I think it's just, we're going to continue to evolve, right? Change happens slow than fast. And um, it'll be interesting to, to see where we change and, and where we don't, but it's always forward. We're always moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Just hit your website? Yeah, you can hit my website. You can, um, through the website, you can schedule a call with me. You can, you know, shoot me an email. Go to milezero.io and it'll be very easy to get to me from there. I love it. You got one of those coveted IO domains. I wanted to get one of those yes. too, but they seemed expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, the .com was taken. So I'm like, ooh, IO, I'll take that one. Oh, there you go. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. Great talking with you. Thank you. This is great. All right. Bye-bye. All right.